0: Hey Coast to Coast listeners, are you in need of company during those strange days and lonely nights? Every Monday, Molly Lambert, Tess Lynch, and myself, Emily Yoshida, gather in dark rooms on either side of the coast for a free jazz blend of pop culture theory, internet fascinations, and venture down a plethora of half-baked conspiracy theory rabbit holes. Fans of Coast to Coast should know that Art Bell is actually a huge influence on our show. So if you're looking for a younger perspective on a lot of the theories and stuff that he was always into, then you will definitely enjoy our podcast. Everything from advice on life and love, to ghost stories, to alien sightings, our thoughts on astrology, and the coming apocalypse. Listen to Night Call on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeart Radio.
0: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Nick Pope was an official at the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense from 1985 to 2006. He was also at the desk officer responsible for investigating officially documented UFO sightings to determine whether they involved any potential threat to the U.K., Nick and his colleagues became privately convinced that there were important defense, national security, and flight safety issues involved with these unexplained phenomenon. He now works as a broadcaster, journalist, covering subjects including the unexplained conspiracy theories. And, of course, uh, he was just with me just a few months ago at one of our live events. And you were wonderful, Nick. Thank you. Had a great time. People are still emailing me about you, my friend. Anyway, the United Kingdom, are they withholding UFO files? What are they doing?
1: Well, this is turning into quite a saga. On Monday, May 14th, it will be the 10-year anniversary of the program to declassify and release the British government's files. And at the time... I came out of retirement from the Ministry of Defense, I helped the British National Archives with this program, Uh, I made the official announcement, publicized it, and at the time we said, this whole process should take two to three years, and here we are, 10 years on, and it's still not done. Why? Well, it's a long, complicated story, effectively. There there seemed to have been some problems with three of the files in particular, but uh, I need to take it back a step further. Okay. In June 2013, the Ministry of Defense and the National Archives said, okay, we have now released the final files. At that point, John Burroughs of the Rendlesham Forest incident, uh, one of the key witnesses, he was doing his own uh, fairly proactive Freedom of Information Act with the Ministry of Defense, and he said, I don't believe it. There are some gaps here. The, the full story has yet to emerge. And he was making a lot of Freedom of Information Act requests, and sure enough, the Ministry of Defense got back to John Burroughs and said, Oh, we've we told you that we've released all the files, we've found another 18. And we were told, oh yeah, they'll be out in a, a year or two, and that deadline came and went. Then, fifteen of the files last year did get released, so just three to go. But I tell you, those have been toing and froing between the Ministry of Defence and the National Archives, and nobody's quite sure what's going on. It's it's almost farcical.
0: Hmm. Now, the three files that are still being held back, what might they contain?
1: Well, one of the files is comparatively uninteresting. And I know that might sound bizarre. I mean, gosh, it's a Ministry of Defense UFO file. Uh, yeah, me.
0: anything in there would be good to me.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's um, largely a file of just citing reports, mainly from the public. And it duplicates a lot of material that's already been released in previous batches. And it's from one of the Air Defense divisions. In the ministry, so it's, it's uh, radar specialists, but it, effectively the same papers were, were being circulated between a number of different divisions. So, those, those papers, I think most people will have seen them before. The two files that are much more interesting are defense intelligence staff files, and uh, the title of, of the files is essentially UFOs Policy. And that's effectively the intelligence, uh, the scientific and intelligence personnel at the Ministry of Defense saying, what do we make of of this phenomenon? How are we going to handle it? And there's also documents in there relating to the setting up of something that you and I have discussed quite a bit before, Project Condine, this um, amazing intelligence assessment of the phenomenon that we did.
0: Nick, let's go back to the beginning. How did you get involved with this, with the Ministry of Defense? How did you get assigned to this?
1: Oh, I, um, I, I just—this uh, was my career, and, and uh, I had done a couple of jobs, actually. Uh, they move you around every few years, every three or four years, either on level transfer or promotion. My first job in the Ministry of Defense was actually a Navy Department job, And my duties were to act as a liaison between the oil and gas industry and the Royal Navy. And just basically to keep everyone out of each other's way in the U.K.'s territorial waters. And it it, it was just all about keeping the information flowing, keeping everyone informed. Then I did a, a personnel job. And then I got seconded into the Joint Operations Center during the first Gulf War. And while I was there, there were some discussions about what my next substantive posting would be. And the manager that I was working to down there said, I've got an interesting job coming up, and I know that you're due for a move. Do you want it? And I said, what's the job? And he said, it's UFOs. (laughs) I sort of looked at him and said, okay, I'll Give it a go, and so so that was that was effectively the situation. I had no prior interest in the subject, no knowledge of it, uh, no no desire to particularly do that job, to be honest. But um, it was just another government job, and and I I got slotted in to do it.
0: When you started seeing some of these truly remarkable cases, did you believe them in the beginning?
1: Not really. I thought that most of them were probably misidentifications yeah. and maybe the odd hoax or mirage, something like that. And and of course, a vast proportion of them turned out to be precisely that, um, particularly misidentifications. We didn't actually get that many hoaxes. I think uh, the civilian UFO groups might, but people were understandably, I think, a little bit more cautious about trying to um, hoax the government in case we sent the men in black round, I suppose. But um, no, I, I, the more I looked, though, particularly into the back files, the archive that we had dating back to the 50s, the more I began to see that some of these cases were really quite interesting. And we'd had cases, for example... Uh, not a million miles away from the sorts of things that have been discussed recently in relation to the Pentagon program, where we had Air Force pilots chasing these things and on occasion getting gun camera footage and right back in, in the 50s and the 60s. So not not too different, as I say, from from the sorts of stories coming out now from the United States.
0: Nick, I have known you to be above board, to be as aggressive as you can be, yet there are some people in the field who think that you're part of a cover-up still.
1: Yes, I, in a sense, there's nothing that I can do about people who, who have that particular view. I mean, if, if I deny it, they'll just say that I'm lying. If I, um, I I don't know, kind of got the Ministry of Defence press office to say, no, no, he really isn't secretly still working for us. They'd simply say, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? So it's a lose-lose situation. And so there's really nothing I can do. I mean, of course, I've got my Ministry of Defence pension that I get. And of course, I'm still bound by the official secret
0: sign, mm-hmm. which
1: is the UK's security oath.
0: But, You're um, going to be at contact in the desert in a couple of weeks with me, aren't you?
1: Absolutely. Looking so we'll, forward to we, that. Yes, it's going to be a great conference. We'll probably chat about that later in the show, but yeah, uh, looking absolutely. forward to seeing you again. And, and I'm sure we'll be discussing a lot of the things that we're talking about here.
0: You sure will. And we will too. How did you like doing our live stage show in Salt Lake City?
1: Great fun. I mean, you know, radio's great, and um, you know, I don't have to tell you that of all people. But you know, there's nothing like actually getting out there and meeting the people.
0: No, I know that one-on-one is so important, isn't it?
1: Yes, you get that interactive approach. You get um, much, much more of a free-flowing conversation, perhaps. People feel that that they're a part of something. And, and you know, I think the thing about your live shows is, is that they're both informative, but they're fun, too. People really enjoy them.
0: They are fun. They are, and nobody ran out when I started singing. That was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, back to these UFO cases. Are there some cases that you saw uh, that came across your desk that were just so outstanding that you just Almost fell off your chair.
1: Yes, I mean some of the ones, particularly where pilots were seeing these things and having near misses. The, the one comes to mind of, of a pilot who was on the in, in the cockpit of the aircraft, uh, commercial aircraft, um, hundred plus passengers on board, huge delta-shaped craft, suddenly comes towards them and and the pilot almost literally just braced for impact and he only had time to shout out to the co-pilot, look out, look out. Um, They braced and this thing just passed by. Um, You know, nothing on radar. Um, You know, sometimes these things show up, sometimes not. And of course they filed a report and then it fell into the odd category and I think this is the case sometimes in the U.S. too, where is it a defense issue or is it a civil aviation issue? I mean, in other words, if something like that happens here in the U.S., should this be a DOD-led investigation or should the FAA take take the lead? Or, or all of them. Or all of them, yeah. Um, in my experience, you know, you've got to put one person in charge. And and but sometimes I think these things got got um, overly complicated by the fact that that, you know, no one know, knew who was heading up the investigation. Two different organizations had a, a file on the same thing and it was a recipe for disaster. Nick Pope
0: with us. We're talking about UFO files in Britain. But what about the United States also, Nick? Have you had sources that have told you what's going on over here?
1: No, not really. I've, I've had a, a couple of um, you know, email exchanges, I suppose, with, with people like uh, Luis Elizondo, uh, who, who um, may, we'll probably get on to discussing him as, as well from the Pentagon's UFO program. And certainly there are similarities, I think, in our experience of this subject within government and, and similarities, I think, in, in our take on this and And indeed, there was just a report in in the media this week about of of all things the religious aspect of this and the pushback that he 's mentioned getting from senior pentagon managers and it was occasionally a factor at the Ministry of defense too, not predominantly on my watch, I have to say, but it was it was always something lurking in the background so i 've I've I've had some discussions with him. I've had over the years some discussions with some of the people, um, quite elderly now, of course, who were involved in Blue Book, but um, fairly limited. There's surprisingly little uh, information exchange and liaison on this subject, which, again, I think is a, a mistake.
0: I think so, too. It seems to me, though, Nick, that recently, over the last year, We seem to be getting more information about government involvement in studying, probing, looking for UFOs than ever before. Why is that?
1: Well, I think the December revelations about the Pentagon program were were an absolute watershed moment.
0: $22 million. What do you think? A lot of money or not?
1: Um, Not in the great scheme of things, of course. I mean, uh, goodness knows how much the total Pentagon budget is is now what is it 5 600 um billion billion or probably like, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah.
0: trillion who knows um, huh?
1: you know um what is the old joke a billion here a billion there pretty soon you're talking some serious money <laughs> but um yeah i i'm not sure that that's the full cost of this program there are always ways of massaging the figures and very often with these things you if if you want to downplay something and we did this in the Ministry of Defence, you quote the additional cash costs of a programme, but not the resource costs. In other words, when costing out the British government's UFO project, for example, um, we didn't include anything for the military radar systems that, that we interrogate when we investigate these things. Well, obviously, every time you use something like that, there is a resource cost, but that doesn't show up in the figures. So there are always ways of, of playing this, but this whole Pentagon story, of course, is is still playing out on an almost daily basis. I mean, just literally within the last few days.
0: Were you surprised by the story?
1: Not really. I, I mean, I think it would be crazy to assume that that these things were being seen by civil and military pilots and tracked on radar, and there wouldn't be a program. Mm-hmm. To look at this. I mean so so it didn't surprise me but it obviously took by surprise a lot of the mainstream media. I mean the the fact that the Times ran it and then then the Post and Politico all the big um TV networks ran it. They were obviously surprised and I can understand why. For years of course the US government used to to say and it was on the websites and things, yeah, we we don't do this. We're not interested. We don't research, we don't investigate. And so, of course, when it turned out that, oh, yes, they do, uh, the media were like, hey, we've got them. We've got some sort of smoking gun here. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com
0: for more.